let's uh, let's begin this evening in in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your presence here, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the quietness that we can experience when we are just in your presence. And we know, Father God, that there is so much going on around us, in our homes, and in our hearts. So much. We are inundated with sentiments and circumstances and all sorts of feelings, Lord. Uncertainties. Yet we know that our feet are on the rock. Our feet are on the rock. As the psalmist says, you have set me on a high place. You have picked me up out of the miry clay. You have delivered me. You have lifted me up. My soul will praise your name. And you have set me on a rock. Those who are, whose faith is in God, whose faith is in the one who saves, the one who delivers, they always know in their hearts that everything's going to be okay. That God is still working. God is going to make a way. God is going to make all things well. I pray that this evening, Lord, the words that are spoken would come from your heart to the hearts of every, every true listener, every true believer. I pray, Father God, that divided by distance, we will be united in spirit and that the prayers of the righteous Lord would reach the heavens today. I pray, Heavenly Father, for the sickness and the threat of sickness and the fear of sickness that looms over our heads, Lord, loved ones, family members, ourselves. It's a difficult, different time to any other we've ever been through, Lord. And for some, it's just a matter of frustration for things to get back to normal. For many, it's a matter of dealing with uh, living through a pandemic as well as living with the loss of loved ones or loss of finances, loss of jobs. So many losses. In this time, we are to carry each other, to build each other up, to lift one another up. In this time, the body of Christ should be the antidote, Lord, to all that is happening. This is the time when everybody should run into your arms. They should run into your family. But are we prepared? As a church, do we, do we know our calling, our authority? Do we know we've studied and talked about who the church is called to be? Now we want to talk about what are we supposed to do? What are we called to do? And what are we authorized to do? When we ourselves feel weak, unqualified, inadequate. We ourselves are struggling with the very things that those we're trying to help are struggling with, Lord. We ourselves don't feel any better than anyone around us. Father, how do we step up to a time like this and be, uh, be God's emissaries, be God's hands and feet of Jesus and, and serve? Open our eyes that we would see wonderful things out of your word. For those who have taken the trouble and discipline and sacrifice to make time out to be here tonight, Lord, would you reward them with letting the word speak into their hearts and to their minds and into us today. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Yeah, once again, good evening, everybody. It's good to have each of you online with me. Uh, it is the midweek refuel, and I hope that it will truly be a refuel. Um, we've taken a two-week break, during which time we had uh, Vacation Bible School, and I gave my staff uh, team, uh, ministry team, a break. I, will, I myself was kind of uh, trying to take a break as well. So it's been a good break, and we've had... Uh, We've had times of refreshing, times of uh, seeking the Lord on different things. But now is the time to get back into business, to get back to, uh, to our calling. It's July already. Half the year has gone. And uh, this is it. This is the second half of the year. We need, to, uh, we need to go down with all guns blazing. And we need to uh, finish this year strong. Amen. Uh, we need to rem- remind ourselves of who we are called to be and live it out, live it out with confidence. So with that said, I'm going to uh, I'm going to get a uh, topic today. I've been thinking, uh, we, did, we did the church, we talked about who the church is called to be, time like this, in a season like this, who is the church called to be? But as we move forward, we finish that looking at the first three chapters of Ephesians, first chapters of Colossians uh, and, and Romans, um, uh, not Romans, what did we do? Um, so we looked at we looked at basically who who is the church who we call to be. Now I want to take us into uh, into the members of the church, the calling of the member, the ministries of the member. One of the doctrines that the the fundamental doctrines that we hold to is called the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. Um, if you're taking notes. The priesthood of all believers means that every Christian can minister in a priestly role. Every Christian can minister in a priestly role. That means reconciling people to God, getting people back to God, uh, reconnected with God. Every believer does the role of a priest. Now you have a prophet and you have a priest. These are the two ministries in the in the Old Testament. The prophet represents God to man, and the priest represents man to God. Uh, Jesus is both prophet and priest. And in representing man to God, we pray to God because we have access to the holiest of holies. We bring people into God's presence because we have uh, the authority to bring people and to and to introduce them to Jesus, uh, the mediator. And we uh, we we stand in the gap and we pray for people along with Jesus as of John 17 for people to come back to God. We also go the distance to help people strengthen. So there are different aspects of a believer's ministry. The priesthood of all believers involves the fact that we have access to the throne. We have access to God. And now that we have, we are in, we can get others in. So that's the priesthood. A prophetic role. We have a prophetic role. As priests, we have a prophetic role in, in that we proclaim God's truth. Every believer is a proclaimer. Every believer is a preacher. Every believer may not be an expositor of the word or, or entitled to teach God's word. Uh, today, In today's day and age, every Tom, Dick and Harry has access to the stage. If, they have, if they're given a pulpit, they're given an access. If they can quote some, some verse or rant off something about some uh, spiritual experience, they, they are now called preachers and teachers at the age of five, six, seven years of age. Or uh, no matter how 
they have lived their life. So there's a lot of um, uh, heresy and 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 what's the right word? Uh, wrong, not just wrong teaching, but wrong functioning of the church as well. But the believer is called to speak the truth, speak and proclaim the truth of God. So number one, reconciling people to God. It's a high priestly role. Number two, it's proclaiming God's truth. And number three is a servant role, a servant leader role. We are called to be servants. So Peter get, uh, gets on his uh, knees along with Jesus and says, you know what, you can't wash my feet. Jesus says, if, you can't, if I can't wash your feet, I'm not, uh, you can't have any part of me. Then uh, Peter says, no, 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 you wash all of me. And all of that goes on between Peter and, uh, and Jesus only to make the point that if I, your, I, you call me Lord and Master, if I, your Lord and Master, uh, wash your feet, uh, you ought also to do the same thing. So we are called to a servant leader role where we serve by leading and we lead by serving. And it's 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 a role that's heavily dependent and rooted in identity, not in task. If our identity is not secure, then we will not be able to do that. So that's the priesthood of all believers or the meaning of the priesthood of all believers. It does not mean we wear anything. It does not mean we are clergy in terms of a, in a church. It's, it's now... Um, uh, the church now has everyone as a priest, which basically means everyone has access to the throne of God. Everyone can pray for others and, and, and mediate others to, to Christ and bring them in. And everyone can play a servant role in the church. So what are then the positions that God gives in a church? There are twofold positions. One is of governance and one is of uh, of, of, um, of uh, 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 equipment. One is of governance and one is of equipping. So the gifts that uh, that God has given to the church, uh, as laid out in in Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven onwards, uh, uh, talk about the people that God has given to the church to equip. So He's given us pastor leaders, pastor teachers. He's given us evangelists uh, and and things like that. So these are these are people who have been given to the church to equip the church for the work of the ministry. Then the governance of the church is the elders. The elders, that's that's laid out in Titus and Timothy, where he explains uh, what an elder is and what a deacon is. A deacon comes from the word diaknos, which means servant. So we have people who are serving in an administrative capacity, taking care of ministries, and we have people who are serving in a, in a gover- governing role, and they are called elders. elders. The elders does not mean older people in uh, some Bibles, uh, in some... Um, uh, local languages of India, uh, the word elder has been translated as the older people, like in Oriya. I know in the Oriya Bible, it is an older people and there are a few other, uh, you know, indigenous languages where it's, and that's wrong. That's and, and therefore what we have is all the eldest people in the church are the ones who are running uh, everything in the church. And that becomes a little dysfunctional. So that's all bonus. Getting back to the priesthood of all believers, I want to focus on one specific area, and that is the area of of restoring errant believers. If you're taking notes, how to restore or the issue of restoring errant believers. Who has the right? Who has the right to restore an errant believer? Everybody sins. Everybody falls away. Everybody goes through tough times, dry times, difficult times. Uh, cold times, cold to God, cold to people. Everybody struggles with the church, struggles with uh, with truth, uh, struggles with circumstances. Everybody does. So when we talk about a community of grace, it means that every single believer 
has a obligation, has an obligation, has a ministry to the other believers. So the question really is, in that priestly ministry that every believer has, and we believe that every believer has that, what does the believer do, not do, think, not think in regard to this? And Paul lays this out in uh, in Galatians chapter 6, four verses. That's all we're looking at today. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. Let me read the whole thing for you once, and then we'll back up and get uh, get started from the top. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... Uh, Transgression and iniquities are two separate things. Transgression is when you cross the line. These, God says, don't go beyond this. And iniquity is when there is deep wickedness. Uh, the, the, it, is the, it, is, it is like when a thought leads to uh, an action, an action leads to a reaction, and, and, and the damage is done. And uh, one gets into a cycle of, of deliberate sin. So there are times when we just fall out, you know, we fall out. And there are times when we are in deep sin and that's usually before we get saved because the bible says that anyone who is uh, in christ is a new creation anyone who is truly a son of god will not continue to sin so the evidence of a believer a true believer because they have the holy spirit the holy spirit being god himself will not allow a believer to continue in that sin he will bug that believer out he will just he will like <laughs> guilt that believer out of that situation just out of pure love just out of pure love. So get them out. And uh, and uh, so a believer usually will not stay there. So errant believers, in this situation, we're talking about those who transgress, those who fall out, those who cross the line, those who kind of uh, uh, have a weakness. They have a weakness in a particular area. Okay? Verse 1. Brothers, if anyone in Scott is in, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. But each of you, for each of you will have your own load to bear. Each one of you bears his own load. Go back to verse 1, please. Uh, verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught, is caught in a transgression. We're not talking about like caught red-handed or you are, you are, we, I caught you doing something or you were caught uh, on cameras. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about uh, if you are caught in a bind, uh, they are caught in a sin, like you, you're, you're stuck. You're stuck in that sin, right? So if anyone is caught in any transgression, they're stuck in it, they're, they're trapped in it, they, 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 they're kind of in bondage, you can't get out. You, our spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you to be tempted. That's verse 1. So Paul here is, uh, is speaking to the Galatian church. Galatians, uh, as a theme, as a, as, a, as a book, talks about liberty, the Christian liberty and the abuse of Christian liberty. Because uh, people consider this new liberty in Jesus, liberty from the law in Jesus, uh, such so so free that it kind of was taken for granted. It was taken for granted. Hebrews talks about people who have abandoned liberty and have gone back to uh, uh, to legality or to to being legalistic. But over here, Galatians he warns people of not abusing the freedom that 
is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So because we don't live by the law, we live by love. He says you could take that for granted and take it to the uh, to, to an extreme. So in a hypothetical situation, he says, if anyone is stuck in a sinful pattern or in a sinful situation, now that might be hypothetical, but it is very common. Every believer at some point in his life is uh, gets stuck into it. You start with a thought, you do it once, you then find yourself doing it again. Then you have a then you have a trigger. Uh, uh, that 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 sin becomes a coping mechanism, or it becomes a go-to uh, whenever you're sick of being spiritual, or you're sick of uh, of, of, of 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 failing, of uh, feeling guilty. You just kind of give in, and then uh, then once it's too late, or it goes too far, then you're like, "Chuck it," you know, "I give in." So then you get stuck in that sin. Who's done? Who's done this? Everybody. All of us have done this. So let's not gloat about it. Uh, so hypothetical situation yet common. So who should reach out to them? When someone is stuck like that, who should reach out to them? Answer, those who are mature. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, what do you do? You who are spiritual, that is mature. Those of you who have learned to live by the Spirit. Now, just a few verses before that, uh, in Galatians chapter uh, 5, he said, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's right there. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 16 onwards, he says, keep in step with the spirit. That entire passage talks about that. Then in verse 25, it says, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So that's, he's already talked about the fruit of the spirit, being spiritual, being mature. So uh, if you are spiritual, that is mature, you should be the one restoring him. I want to read that again, and I want you to read it as a mandate to yourself. I want us to read this as a mandate to ourselves. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a smallest spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. So who is to restore or reach out to believers who are falling away. Those who are mature. In fact, that is a sign of maturity. Maturity or mature people actually care about those who are falling away. Immature people don't care. They will cover up their don't care or their carelessness or their lack of care. They will cover it up by saying, it's none of my business. You know, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Who am I to condemn? We, we, we should be, you know, an accepting community. Everybody struggles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody struggles. Very smart. But if you are a team and you're helping everyone, all four members of the team are helping each other climb the rock, or you're, or, or you're, or you're uh, in a dangerous situation. If one falls, the other's going to catch him, and nobody's going to argue about that. No one's going to call it judgmental. So the the safety net of being in a church, being a member of a church, one of the fundamental advantages of being in a church is that when I am weak, those who are strong will pick me up. When I am weak, those who are strong will pick me up. But immature believers, of which we have many, they will say, oh, no, no, it's not my place. Who am I? You know, I myself have my own weaknesses. I mean, they'll make 101 excuses. So who should reach out? Those who are spiritual. And it is a sign of maturity. Secondly, how should you reach out? In a spirit of gentleness. This is not a time for gloating. This is not a time for uh, top-down 
uh, I told you so, or or uh, being being uh, boastful, or being spiritually holier than thou. This is not a time for that. The form. I'm going to say this very slowly and carefully. The form, the function, and the feeling with which a believer who is mature reaches out to an errant believer, an erring believer, a, a, a believer is caught in a sin. The way that person or a church or a leadership of the church reaches out and does it, it should be with gentleness, with a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because when someone has fallen, they are broken. When they're broken, they're fragile. Should you deal with them in truth and tell them the truth? Yes, absolutely. But there is a way to do it. And many of you have heard of churches and leadership that are very harsh, judgmental, dictator, dictatorial, very indictive, um, We've lost so many people. We've lost so many people for two major reasons. One is either we have immature people who don't care and don't reach out and don't feel a burden for the others who are in sin. And the other side is leadership or people in the church who are vindictive and condemning and harsh in the way they deal with those who are fallen, who have fallen or who transgress, who fall out. It's a very important thing to understand because we are talking about dealing with sick sheep. Sick sheep. So if you don't have a mindset of a shepherd, you're probably going to harm the sheep in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, Maturity also guards its own. Look at the last part of verse 1. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. One of the attributes and the, the, the parts of being mature, one of the ways a mature person thinks is like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to hang out with this person. I'm going to lift that person up. But I might, must make sure that I don't fall in the same area. I don't fall uh, in the same uh, pit as this person. I'm there to pick that person up, not to uh, fall in the same. So maturity guards its own lest you fall. If you fall, if you fall in sin, whether it's in the same sin you're helping the person with or, or if you fall in your own sin while you're trying to help, if you fall, you render yourself useless to the one you're trying to help. You render yourself useless to the one you're trying to help. You, you discredit yourself. You disqualify yourself. So we need to be gentle. We need to be spiritual. Uh, that's what uh, both motivates us and qualifies us but we should not lose that grounding because if I'm going to pick you up, I need to be on solid ground myself. Verse 2. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is beautiful. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. A second sign of maturity uh, is that we bear each other's burdens. We, we look out for one another. When we talk about the word burden here, the use, the use of the word burden here is those that are so heavy that it takes two people to carry. Now, everyone has got their own burden to carry, their own burden to bear. But there are some burdens that are meant to be shared. That's what community is for. So 
only someone who has dealt with their own sin can gently deal with the sin in others. Only someone who has dealt with their own sin can gently deal with the sin in others. So when you help a person carry a burden, a burden of guilt, the burden of, of loss or, 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 or working through uh, repentance, when you're, when you're getting people back on track, there's a lot that they are carrying. There's a lot of pain and hurt because most, most people sin because of somebody else's sin. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people sin because of somebody else's sin. They blame it on themselves, uh, on the others, but they're still responsible. So only someone who has dealt with their own sin can be gentle, can be gentle with, with the sin in others. And uh, when we do that, when we are gentle, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. We are fulfilling the law of Christ. What is that? Uh, here Paul deliberately returns to the thought of love being the fulfillment of the law. For the law of Christ is the new commandment. John chapter 13 verse 34. The law of Christ is the new commandment. I give you a new commandment. Love one another even as I have loved you. So that fulfilled in part by such actions when people care. So when you care, when you step out, when I step out and I lift up a person who has fallen sin, is, is drifting away, is moving away from, from a, a place of in, innocence, then we are expressing the love of Christ. We are expressing the law of Christ. The burdens we do impose on ourselves should be the burdens of mutual sympathy. Let me say that again. The burdens we do impose on ourselves should be the burdens of mutual sympathy. All right. So bearing one another's burdens is a fulfillment of the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of love. If you love one another, you will carry each other's burdens. You will lift one another up. So what wouldn't, why wouldn't we bear each other's burdens? What are reasons why we wouldn't bear one another's burdens? Paul gives two reasons here in verse 3 and verse 4, and then we're done. Verse 3, he says, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. When anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So there are two errors that might keep believers from fulfilling this role of mutual sympathy, mutual sympathy. The first is conceit, being conceited. That is, Christians thinking themselves to be more important than they actually are. The implication seems to be that if Christians neglect or refuse to bear one another's burdens, if you're saying, no, I don't want to bear another person's burden, mine is bad enough. It is because they think themselves above it. I am not, it's not my job to care for your problem. You deal with it. You, you struggle with it. You brought it upon yourself. You deal with it. Okay. Uh, it's because I think I'm above it. It's not, it's, it's beyond me to care for it. That's one, uh, one possibility. And that's conceit or being conceited. But this is to be self-deceived. This, this thinking is self-deceived because we are measured by God's standard. We are measured by God's standard. And if you are measured by God's standard, the, you're, you're nothing. No one amounts to anything. Nobody has really got any credibility or any standing or any uh, brownie points. Uh, he says, if when he is nothing, if anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I think uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 3 puts it a little bit better. Uh, let me see if I can grab that for you. Romans chapter 12 verse 3. Paul 
says in Romans chapter 12, but by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Again, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So that's a positive way of saying the same thing. That God has, uh, God has put value in all of us and we are all valuable in Christ. But on our own, we are all equally nothing. He, the emphasis is not on that you are nothing, but that we are equally nothing. So if anyone thinks he's something uh, when he is nothing, he is actually deceiving himself. So that's an issue of uh, that, that counters conceit. Verse 3. Drop in with verse 4. Let's move on to verse 4. But, and that but is connected to the, it's a conjunction connected to verse 3. But let each one test his own work. Let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Wait, be careful. Don't read what I'm not uh, what, what I'm not saying here. Don't 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 get the wrong thing here. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The first error, first reason why a believer may not uh, reach out and bear another person's burden is because of conceit. It's too good for me. I'm too I'm I'm too high up. I'm you know it's it's too beneath my thing to to get into your problem or to your mess. The second reason, the second error is might be that yeah, that keeps believers from bearing one another's burdens is to always compare themselves to others, compare themselves to, to other people by their works or by their ministry, by their works or by their ministry. So here's where a problem lies. So either you think you're too good or you think you're too bad. One of the two disqualifies you, demotivates you to actually step out and help. In one case, it's conceit. In the other case, it's, uh, you know, you just don't care. This is, this, is problem. this is problematic. This can be harmful, both in a positive sense and in a uh, negative sense. In a positive sense, you may be saying, I'm doing better than they are. I'm doing better than they are. And in a negative sense, you may be saying, I am unable to do anything. Everyone else is much better. Who am I to tell others? I, I, can't, I can't help. I can't really reach out. I can't serve anybody else. I can't correct anybody else because... I have so much wrong in my life. <laughs> Who doesn't have wrong in their life, right? So you don't want to be too, you don't want to go out the other way extreme of being too spiritual where, or too too uh, conceited where you're too good for anybody else. And you don't want to mix with unbelievers, mix with uh, sinful people, mix with uh, weak people. Uh, and you want to keep away. And the other option is that you think you're so bad or you yourself are carrying your own a mess, how can you help one another? So the second error is in comparison. We are always comparing ourselves to others in terms of works. To counter both these forms of error, Paul suggests that each believer has a task from the Lord. Okay, are you seeing that? Verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have his own, uh, for each will have to bear his own Lord. Now, what is he talking about? He's saying that Paul, God gives every believer a ministry. And that ministry enables us to show our humility in caring for one another's burdens. Everybody is gifted. Like we said, 
everyone is a high priest. Uh, everyone is a priest. Uh, there's uh, we talk about the priesthood of all believers. So when a priest is called into ministry, they are given a task and they're given a in a ministry and they're given authority to do so. So Paul suggests that each believer has a task from the Lord and is responsible only to the Lord for doing it. I repeat, Paul suggests that each believer has a task from the Lord and is responsible only to the Lord for doing it. To use others as a norm for one's activities is a kind of an escape. Okay, so if I compare my sin to other sin, I will either come out on top or I'll come out beneath. But if I consider my ministry, put away my sin, don't, uh, in a sense of not focus on my sin or your sin, but I focus on my ministry, I am called to do this. I am burdened, I am compelled to do this. This is my ask from God. This is my task from God. God wants me to do this. Then I will focus on what I have been called to do. And my task, my load, my burden, that is to care for you, to lift you up, to bear your burden. That is what will govern my actions. Not my own goodness or badness or, or whatever. So to use others as a norm, I'm not going to look at anybody else. Whatever you are, no matter how far you've fallen, my ministry to you is to lift you up. So when Christians have their eyes on God rather than on other Christians, then in their own eyes, then in their own eyes, firstly, they will be unprofitable servants. And secondly, God himself will receive the glory. If you're taking notes, write that down. When Christians, instead of putting their eyes on their own sin or putting their eyes on other believers' sin, and we're talking about believers here, other believers sin, that's why he says, my brothers, other believers sin, then two things will happen. They will be at best unprofitable servants. And number two, God will get the glory. How is that a positive thing? I need to take you to Luke chapter 17. We're very close to the end. Cheer up. Uh, uh, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Matthew, Mark. Luke. Luke chapter 17. Verse. It's actually... It's actually verse 11 I want to look at, verse 10 I want to look at, but I'd, I'd rather read from verse 7 onwards, if you don't mind. Uh, verse 7 onwards. Will any of you who is who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? So first I eat and drink, then the servant eats and drinks. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Does he thank him? Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you know, Merbani. No, no. So you also, verse 10, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say this. This, is, this should be your attitude. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So what is the believer's mindset towards one's own ministry? You don't focus on your sin. You focus on the fact that you are a servant of God and you have a task, you have a mandate, you have a mission, you have a given uh, a commandment and God has asked you to do something and you just, just do it. Just do it. No matter what happens, people will lift you up one day. They will toss you down one day. They'll praise you one day. They'll curse you another day. They will, they will, uh, you know, adore you one day. They will despise you the next day. Leave people alone. Stay focused on Jesus. 
the, the one who started your faith and finishes your faith, the one who called you into ministry, the one who empowers you for ministry, and the one who will reward you for ministry and continue to do what God has called you to do. Going back, you this 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 concept of I'm an unworthy servant, I'm an unworthy servant, is a very positive, uh, humble uh, mindset, perspective, uh, paradigm. Verse 7, will any of you who has a servant plowing and keeping sheep say to him who has come in from the field, say, hey, hey, servant came into the house, please come sit at our table. No, 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 you wouldn't do that. Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards, when I'm finished, then you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant? Oh, thank you so much. You did so much for me. We really appreciate your ministry today because he did what was commanded. No, here it is. So you also, when you have done all that you are commanded Say, we are unworthy servants and we have only done what was our duty. So a believer in, in restoring another believer to the Lord out of sin, out of transgression, carrying another bur believer's burden and bringing them back into a right standing with God is a mandate. It's a ministry. It's a beautiful ministry. And by that ministry, we stand off all. We don't stand off all by our sin. We stand off all by our ministry. Therefore, he says in that verse, for each will have his own burden to bear. That's why he says in verse 4, let each one test his own work. He's not talking about good works, bad works. He's talking about obedience to ministry. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. He says, I just, I did what I did. I did what God wanted me to do. I don't know about that. I did what God wanted. And not in his neighbor or his neighbor's response to his ministry, etc., etc. Okay. Second, the first, if God, if Christians keep their eyes on God rather than on other Christians, then in, and then in their own eyes, firstly, they'll be unprofitable servants. Good thing. Secondly, God himself will get all the glory. Let's read this and close. So go with me to 2 Corinthians. Corinthians comes after... Uh, Romans, 2nd Corinthians comes after 1st Corinthians, the last time I checked. Um, okay, 2nd Corinthians, all the way down to uh, uh, chapter 10. 2nd Corinthians chapter 10, and reading from 12 to 18. 2nd Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 to 18. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. Got that? Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are com commending themselves. But when, we when they measure themselves by another or by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. They're stupid when they do that, basically. That's what he's saying. Verse 13. But we will not boast beyond limits. But we will boast. We will boast. But we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. So all I, all I have going for me is what has God asked me to do for you? That's my ministry. And I'm not going to do that because of you. I'm going to do that because God has asked me to do that. For we are not overextending ourselves or over-evaluating ourselves, a modern term would be, as though we did not reach you. For we, are, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We did not boast beyond limits. We could, we could say we were the first. We told you, we brought you the gospel. If it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have a ministry. If it wasn't for us, we wouldn't, you wouldn't be saved. This whole ministry exists because we came, all of that. We could talk like that, but we didn't. We did not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, 
our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. So the more you come into faith, the more you grow, then the ones who has had influence upon you, that influence grows. Their ministry grows based on how much your faith grows and, uh, and, and how, you, how much you respond. So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in, any, in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I repeat, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So there's this concept of constantly going back to, no, I don't judge you, you don't judge me. But it's not based on my judgment of you or your judgment of me that I minister to you. The task that has been given to me is to take my mind off comparing. To take my mind off comparing. Okay, verse 4. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And there's a lot to think through this. There's a lot to think through this, but here it is. This is essentially what it is. When we believers do not keep our eyes on each other or each other's goodness or badness or works, then uh, we are, first of all, unprofitable servants. Lord, I'm just doing what you asked me to do. I'm doing my duty. And the second thing is, God, you take all the glory. You take all the glory. So the the area of concern, the area of, of concern is, as we close, what... what uh, is the problem with believers. Why do we struggle to lift others up? Why do we struggle to lift others up? Why do we struggle to correct each other? Why do we feel it's none of our business? Two problems. One is maturity. Maturity tells us our ministry. Maturity tells us our ministry. So the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, tenderness. That's the fruit of the, that. That's a, that's an issue of maturity, and ministry is an issue of service, humility. And I, 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 when I walk close to God, when I'm humble before God, when I, uh, my eyes are on God, He gives me a ministry, and my ministry is to serve You. I do not deny my ministry. I will not walk away from my ministry. I will not let my ministry uh, suffer at the rate of, at the, at the mercy of whether you are responding or not responding, whether I am sinning or not sinning, you're sinning or not. It's, I'm not going to. So if here it is. If I come out to save you, come to help you be a better person, get out of your sinful ways, if I come to you to help you to do that from a vantage point, from a paradigm, from a perspective of how good I am, it's not going to work. That's not good. If I come at you to help you thinking I'm better than you, you need to be like me, that's conceited. That's not going to work. So to balance it out and to give us a correct perspective, God gives us a ministry. Ministry makes us servants. It, it, it defines us as servants. An unworthy servant. And an unworthy servant says, Lord, this is my duty. It's not because I am good or bad. It's not because they are too bad or not bad and not good enough. It's because you have asked me to do that. So I think that in the... I wish I could discuss this with you at this point. I wish I could hear your heart out on this point. But um, I think we need to take it to the next level. In my church... Covenant Life, as well as anybody else who's listening to me in your church, we need to take it to the next level. We need to 
empower people to empower people. We need to help people get gain the perspective that you are a saved sinner, you are living uh, with the with the frustration of being in the flesh yet spiritually strong. You who are spiritual, etc., walk in the spirit if you keep in step as spirit. If you live, you are struggling with that on a daily basis. You are struggling with that, but your ministry has not been given to you because. You're good or bad. Your ministry has been given to you because you follow Jesus. And Jesus was a servant. And you can't follow Jesus and not be a servant. And if you say you're a servant, then the question is, what is your task? What is your task? To reach out and help each other. Now imagine a, a community where everyone feels responsible for everyone else. Wow. <laughs> when everyone feels responsible for everyone else. Everyone holds up everyone else. We don't let you stay away from church for too long. We don't let you stay away from Bible study or prayer for too long. We don't give in, you know, at, at some point we, we step over everything and say, come on, man, get your act together. I, I'm, I'm saying this for your good. I am nobody, but I'm telling you that, you know, you need it. They will not uh, necessarily respond well. <laughs> they will not uh, turn on the, oh thank you thank you this is the word, life-changing words i wanted to hear no but 10 years later 20 years later they will tell others that when i was weak when i was adamant when i was lost in my sin when i was i was too broken to to get back to god to break out of my bondage to break out of my relationships uh ungodly relationships this person this lady this this brother this sister they had the love in their heart to come to me and say, enough. 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 Come back home. Come back home. Imagine a church where every believer understood their, high priest, their priestly ministry. Amazing, huh? Let's think about that. Let's process that. Let's share it in our small groups, home groups, wherever, and let's let's pray it into reality. Let's take our church to the next level. A church filled with pastors, a church filled with shepherds, filled with an army of of of, of little saviors. Those who those who have a handout to somebody, holding everybody up. Imagine that community where everybody's got a hold of somebody. What a strong community. Nobody can fall out, fall through the cracks. Father God, every church needs to be like this, but we particularly ask you that our church would be like this because we can only offer ourselves for you to do your work in us, Lord. Father, would you do your work in us? If we have had a wrong perspective, if we have been conceited, or if we have uh, been immature, Lord, then rectify that, Lord. Draw us back to yourself. Give us a, give us a, a, a vision of the cross. Help us to count our cost again and, and, and recommit to discipleship. And at the same time, give us a burden for the lost. For the Father seeks those who are lost. The Son came for those who are lost. The Spirit convicts those who are lost. Father, how can we do anything less? How can we not be engaged in what the entire Trinity is engaged in? Speak to us, Lord. Open your heart to us. Pour your love 
pour your passion, pour your, the aches and pains of your heart into us. We only seek your joys and we seek your, your happiness and we seek your blessings. But we invite you. This is a dangerous prayer. But we invite you to pour into our hearts the things that break you, Lord, that break your heart, the burdens you carry. Share it with us that we may live with that burden and we may feel how much the heart of God is hurting for the lost, for those out of fellowship, for those straying, for those who are not home yet. Every time we see that empty chair at the, at the family table, Lord, enable us to pray, enable us to serve, enable us to reach out. Give us eyes and heart. Give us eyes and give us a heart that's on mission for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, being with me this evening. And there's been a lot, but you must think about it. You must think through it. And as you as you process that, uh, if you if you can share some of those thoughts with us, uh, it'll be great. Share it with me. I can I can I can put it on our Facebook page. Things like even come on Facebook page and kind of even here, even in this video, if you could if we could start a conversation and, and ask questions and respond to each other, and uh, not just Hallelujah and praise the Lord, but you know. Uh, say what we have learned right here so that when people visit this video they see there has been interaction and that God's people have uh... alright, just before I leave let me also remind you that Sunday we have the Believer's Service, it used to be Communion Service now it's the Believer's Service where I share the word as well for people who are strong in the faith and uh, I, it's, I want it to be a place where it's a forum where the entire church is meeting. It's a one place where all the members are gathered. Because when you say uh, Sunday service online, uh, you know, everybody is watching the whole world and don't know who's tuning in, who's not tuning in. There's no accountability. There's no sense of discipline. We used to have a discipline as believers of coming to the Lord, uh, Lord's presence and Lord's table. Church, church was a discipline for us. Now we don't know. Are you coming? And three months is a long time and you might, you might break that habit. And there are some believers who, who were so strong in our church and so involved. Today, they're not in prayer groups. They're not in, in the communion service. They're not in uh, online. We don't, know, we don't know where they are. You know? So we cannot afford this. There's got to be this one forum when the whole church meets. So again, I'm saying pray for that to, to come into reality where everybody dresses up decently, switches on their cameras, comes on and they are present, to be present, be visible, be, be present to their church, to the body of Christ. Say, I'm here. See their faces and enjoy being seen. And uh, it's not just a video issue, but it's a matter of connecting. So my heart's desire is that the, that Sunday morning believer service would be the gathering of all members of our church. And if you are a member of my church, uh, then uh, I, I, I ask you not only to be there, but also to encourage others to be there. If you're not a member of our church, of course, you have no obligation to do that, but we'd love to have you uh, here in, in other forums. All right. So uh, thank you so much once again. It was beautiful talking to you today. And I wish I could hear your voices one day. God will give us that opportunity. The Lord bless you. Have a good night. Enjoy your dinner. <laughs>